with you and well biz it's been a while since we've spoke at the time it felt like iowa hawkeye basketball program things were circling the drain there was conversations about a friend friend fade happening again with this squad and since then they played really really good basketball so is it even a good idea that we're doing another podcast here Oh, it's always a good idea to do a, another podcast, Trent. you got to give the public what they're craving for. <laughs> well, that's why we're here. we got lots to get into. A dominating victory last night against Nebraska. A look ahead to Wisconsin. Of course, the Big Ten tournament right after that. And then the big dance. And ultimately, this season did not culminate with a Big Ten regular season championship, something that I have not seen in my lifetime. And you were too young to remember the last time Iowa won a regular season crown. But though that didn't happen, ultimately, is it just as simple as this team, we will determine how they're remembered and what happens in the NCAA tournament? Uh, absolutely. You know, if you go back to that last Big Ten title, it's fun to, to talk about 1979 being the Big Ten title, Trent. But what year do people really care about? Do they care about the 1979 Big Ten title, or do they care about the next year yep. when the team made the Final Four? It's the Final Four. Yeah. You're exactly right, yeah. Very clearly, the Final Four year is the one that matters. And it, would it have been great to have a Big Ten title? Absolutely. But uh, it's not like we uh, lost out by a half game and, and we're you know, going to be crushed. I, honestly, I think the best thing that probably happened to this team is the pressures of a Big Ten title kind of went out the window because the moment that they uh, realized they weren't going to put playing for a Big Ten title, well, they played, uh, as you said, significantly better basketball over the last three weeks. And, you know, obviously Nebraska is not good, but uh, anytime you can beat any Big Ten team by, by 40, you're doing something right. It was a dominating performance last night, and it came from a lot of different areas. Jordan Bohannon, he ties a career high as he hits eight three-pointers in the game. Saw Patrick McCaffrey, maybe his most complete game off the bench, not just getting to the rim, but hitting shots from the outside as he finishes up with a career-high 19 points. Wieskamp was doing his thing. Luca plays 22, 24 minutes, gets 14 points. And Connor McCaffrey didn't shoot it well again, one is seven from three, but eight assists, including seven in the first half. Yeah, across the board, you know, it was their Nebraska's strategy was clearly uh, we're going to put as many people on Luca as we can and just cross our fingers and hope that they uh, shoot four for thirty-three again, like we did a couple years ago. And uh, you know, fortunately, this team is uh, a little you know a little better equipped to I, I think avoid those four for thirty-three nights. So, I mean, Nebraska, can you tell me how in the world did they beat? a team by 21 and, and they were up by what 30 on, on Rutgers with, with 10 minutes to go. Nebraska is a bad, bad basketball team. I have no idea. It's a game where it's not like they had a bunch of injuries. Geo Baker was there. Ron Harper Jr. Was there. Miles Johnson was inside doing his thing and they just clubbed him. Now you shoot the ball. Well, that's going to help, but it wasn't even that outside of uh, the man kid who hit five, three pointers in that game. Nebraska only hit eight in the ball game. 
they dominated Rutgers. You wonder what's going on there with Pikel and company. How that happens, I have no clue. Because I think somebody said in our text thread uh, yesterday, there's two guys on that team that had to look at the basketball while they're dribbling for Nebraska. It's amazing how quickly Fred's strategy of bringing in the uh, you know kind of people's uh, castaways and the one-year guys has kind of uh, kind of flopped on him. I mean, it seems like every person he brought into Iowa State. That was kind of the, uh, you know, the malcontents that he was able to get them to play well. And, and certainly at Nebraska, I mean, that, that, I mean I, there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of talent coming up, it didn't seem like yesterday either. It's not like this is a, a really young team that's just uh, taking their lumps. A lot of those guys are juniors and seniors that he brought in to try to uh, make a quick fix, and they're just not good. They do have a really good recruiting class coming in next year, including – one of their decent players, at least uh, out of that collection of, of stiffs out McGowan, there. McGowan kid's brother. Yep, yep, he's coming in. He's a five-star, but the McGowan kids, he he's a, a transfer that came in there. One of the guys that they have coming in next year is one of the top ten Juco players in the country, but he's a six-one-two guard. Those We see those guys, and it's hard for me to believe that suddenly he's going to be an impact player. And the other kid is a top 100 player from California, a bespeckled-looking goober. I don't know. I, I'm sure he's a decent basketball player if he's scouted and, and considered a top 100 player. But even as good as it is, you kind of wonder how good is it going to be. By year two, you're normally seeing those improvements, and ugh, they got a long, long ways to go. He got fired up a couple of times, too. He was hollering at guys. He's putting his finger in guys' chests. Not going very well in year two yet. Uh, we had a writer on my radio show on the other day from uh, Lincoln, and he said, still beloved. People love him. The guys won five conference games in two years, and they're still just eating it up over there in Lincoln. Well, you got to think the honeymoon's probably done next year if they don't, they don't start turning the corner a little bit. Because uh, as you've seen, the Big Ten is uh, pretty brutal, and they are clearly the bottom feeder right now. But let's, uh, we, need to, we need to talk about the hidden gem that Stat Boy uncovered from uh, <laughs> the last time that Iowa had such a dominant uh, victory. Because that, that was uh, – just pure gold that boy found. Yes, it was. So we go back. This was the largest margin of victory for the Hawkeyes in a Big Ten game since 1995. You go back to 1995, it was a dominating victory against Northwestern. Not a huge surprise that that's the team that they beat. But the other parts of the game, I, I think, are what are the most intriguing. Five technical fouls called in the 116-77 Hawkeye win, and it was the basketball debut for the Gorilla Man. Biz, I'm going to guess, were you at this game your freshman year? Is that right? Or was this your last year of high school? Yeah, this is my senior year of high school. Okay. Uh, I, was not, I was not there yet, but uh, I completely forgot about that game and forgot about Gorilla Man in general until I read it. And then you sent out, I think, the follow-up uh, video. Mm -hmm. Just a couple great things. You know, Statboy sent out the article for the game not only were there five technicals, but you see a Northwestern player got ejected with 4.47 to go in the first half. That, that just doesn't happen often in games. And it wasn't due to a fight. He just got two separate technicals in the game. So, And then the video, I encourage anybody that's watching this, if you haven't seen it, you, you've got to see the video. Because it, you know, when you think guy runs on the court it's usually you know they run out there and two seconds later they're tackled but this was kind of the opposite it was a guy that ran out on the court ran into Ronchier Glasper then slowly jogged over and stole the ball from a Northwestern guy 
and then dribbled the length of the floor when he, where he had a buddy that had uh, got down on the floor and he tried to jump off his buddy's back and dunk it. And this entire time, nobody does anything. It's just kind of like, oh, there's a monkey on the floor. Let's let's, let's watch and see what he does. And then finally, 15 seconds later, they're like, oh, we, we probably should stop him. So, I mean, it's just amazing to see. It was an incredible game. The box score, even better. I'm looking through that. Jess Settles was called for a technical in the game. Uh, Ted Valentine was one of the officials there, along with Art McDonald. remember hating that guy. He was terrible. John Carter played 17 minutes of the game. He had six rebounds and four points. You go deeper. Nate Koch, is that J.R. Koch's brother? Am I right here? No, Nate, I, don't, I don't think so. No, Nate Koch is actually, he is the father of the two Koch girls that have been very good basketball ah. players at West Iowa. I think the oldest or the second one, was still there this year. I think she was. Yeah, she's going to. She's going to. I think they both went to that. The one of them is playing somewhere in the Ivy League, and the other one I think is going to somewhere in the Ivy League. So no, Audrey's so he, going he to lives. Providence. She's uh, going to Providence. Okay. I called her game yesterday against Johnston, and it's pronounced Cook. So that's another confusing yeah, you're, thing. You're correct. The, yeah. This is the I Cook family because he, <laughs> he lives. He lives over here, and I know him, you know, somewhat. So yes, I should know it's pronounced Cook. That's correct. So, yeah, no relation to J.R. Koch, spelled the same way. This is Cook, (laughs) K-O-C-H. The box score is great. The story is great. And not only that, but Gorilla Man, it wasn't just at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. He also went out on the field up in the Metrodome when the Hawkeyes were playing the Gophers up there. Was that – did that happen first or did the basketball come first? Well, maybe we need to get Statboy on that one. No, football was first. Okay. They were both. I, the video you sent out, share both of them. They were within like three months of each other. I think football was like November of 94 and then basketball was February of 95. So, uh, and if I remember one of the papers, the DI or something did a, a, a where are they now of him like five years ago. And he was uh, a very successful, uh, well-adjusted human being that, uh, you know, just, uh, I'm assuming, was uh, given some money by some stupid friends or, or offered to buy some beer, and he thought, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go with it. So, but uh, yeah, it's, if you haven't, again, if you haven't seen the video, you really need to watch it because it is just astounding how long he's able to just kind of trot around out there, and nobody seems all that concerned. No, no, not at all. Has a buddy out there, he jumps on him trying to dunk it. It was an incredible piece of video. You're right. The face on Montier Glasper's face uh, just cracked me up. Just baffled well, yet. He, hit, he hits glass yeah. pretty hard too. I mean, it's right, not yeah. like. I mean, I mean, if you watch the video from like the the actual TV feed, I mean, he comes flying in there. It could have been really, really bad. And we're lucky uh, we're not talking about uh, Monsieur Glasper with a, a you know ACL tear due to a, a gorilla right. injury. <laughs> uh, what a time to be alive! So that's a look back at a big victory for Iowa. So biz from there. Let's start looking forward a little bit. As we look at Sunday, Wisconsin comes to town. It'll be senior day for Luca, Jordan Bohannon going through. I don't think anybody anticipates, though, they could come back, that they're going to come back, and they've said as much that they're going to move on and uh, start their careers, whatever that turns out to be. Basketball, NBA, maybe go overseas, whatever that is. But with that, uh, Biz, just two careers that and two guys that have been so much fun to cheer for, kind of the embodiment of – the Iowa basketball players, I think, that you and I growing up, the guys that we wanted to be, those kind of guys that could go out there, maybe aren't going to out-athlete you, but they were going to be what you expect from an Iowa basketball player. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clearly, I mean, it's pretty clearly the biggest senior day in Iowa in over 32 years. I mean, 1989, when you had Roy, BJ, and and Ed all on the same day, I mean, that's pretty hard to beat with that trio. But uh, a pretty impressive duo with, with Luca and J-Bo. I mean, uh, clearly Luca is going to get his number retired. It's going to be hanging up with, with Megan Gustafson's pretty soon. Uh, will J-Bo join him? Mm. The way that they retire jerseys and numbers – and then honor numbers, but not retire. No, it won't be in the same fashion that we have with Luca. Luca will be alone, but not the same for Bohannon. That's my guess. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, but uh, you know, I think you can make a pretty darn good argument that he probably should have his jersey retired. I mean, you know, he's—I'm really happy that he went off last night, and I'm—I'm I'm hoping he really has a good march because, you know. He's had such an interesting career. I think people were shocked how good he was as a freshman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over the years, I think people have gotten frustrated and started to point out more of his limitations than they have focusing on his, uh, his strengths. And, you know, as we all know, Jabo doesn't help himself out sometimes by being as vocal as, as he is. But, you know, it, this Sunday will be the first time, you know, for the last year, obviously it's, it's stunk to not be in Kinnick and not in Carver, but Sunday would be the first time I think you know, it's truly sad that we can't be there to honor those two. And I hope at some point they get the two of them back together and do kind of a, a modified senior day if they can get them to come to a game next year and uh, give them the, the, the 15,000-person round of applause they deserve. You know, I was thinking forward, and if Iowa does make a run in the NCAA tournament, first of all, they're playing the Big Ten tournament at Lucas Oil Stadium, which is just incredible to think about that they're allowing 8,000 people into that huge building, even with social distancing. But if Iowa makes a run and that number stays the same inside of Lucas Oil when we get to April, how many Hawkeye fans are going to try to get there and what that's going to look like? Iowa making a Final Four for the first time since 1980. Iowa playing in an Elite Eight for the first time since 1987. If they get to those heights and you have a drivable place to be, but tickets are going to be so scarce. Yeah. Well, and I think I don't, obviously we don't know where we end up playing, which of the arenas for uh, the NCAA tournament games, but it could be a huge advantage if you end up playing the NCAA tournament games in Lucas oil yeah. to have played a few games that are in the big 10. Cause you know, people always talk about how hard it is to shoot in those arenas with even when it's full of 70,000 fans, but, uh, an empty arena is really going to have a weird backdrop. So getting there and being able to play a few games in advance can only be can only be a benefit for the Big Ten teams that have to play there again a week later. Yeah, a really good point. And uh, we'll take any advantage that we can get. Uh, you had a question in here. Uh, built Team built to last. And I'm guessing you're kind of going down the path of looking at the future of this Iowa basketball team. We got to see a lot of it last night. And what, I guess more than anything, the sustainability of Iowa basketball coming off this year, ranked in the top five, top ten, basically all season long, what they're going to look like next season. It's going to be different. Luca moves on. I think Wieskamp is going to move on. Bohannon moves on. It'll be a different-looking team. When you look at that and kind of the question you pose, what are your thoughts? How, how this team, how they're going to be next season and how they're built for sustainability? All right. We talked about this a little bit in the past, but I love the way that Fran has gone about 
building a, a sustained winner at Iowa. Um, you know, it's just he didn't take any shortcuts. He's kind of the anti, you know, Fred Hoiberg. You know, he, he doesn't go out and, and try to, you know, put Band-Aids and, and just kind of cover gaps every year. I mean, has he had the occasional graduate transfer? Yes. But for the most part, he has tried to build by recruiting guys that fit the system, and he's been confident in his recruiting. I mean, the Murray twins are a, a perfect example of everybody, including, you know, you and I, we're both, what, what the hell is he doing here? And obviously he knows what he's doing. And, you know, you can be critical of Fran for, for many things, and he makes it easy to be critical, but you certainly can't be critical for the way that he has gone about trying to build a, a long-term winner at Iowa. And I think, you know, I think what you're going to see over the next few years is he's done that. I mean, I still think rose-colored glass, we can't come back, comes back next year. I think he's going to get you know, feedback from the, the NBA that he still needs to work on some things and he needs to improve, you know, finishing around the hoop and needs to improve, you know, being a more consistent player and things like that. I think he'll come back because I think he wants a year to be the man. I think he wants to show he can score 21, 22 points a game and if he comes back, I mean, you're looking at pretty clearly a top 20 team next year, I would think. Oh, yeah, I, I think so, too. And they're going to be built a lot differently. My my concern, I guess, is they're still going to be good offensively. That's just the way that they are. But when you have Toussaint and when you have Euless and when you have Perkins as part of your backcourt, of course, C.J. Frederick's going to be there. It's not exactly guys that have shoot, shot the ball incredibly well from deep in their career. You can get away with it. We've seen them get away with it with Connor McCaffrey out there doing the same kind of thing. But you're going to have to find the right combination, the the right mix with the groups playing together. I think that's going to be really important with next year's team. Well, it sounds like if Wieskamp doesn't come back, that they kind of consider Sanford to be, you know, Wieskamp light. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, he would probably, if Wieskamp doesn't come back, I'm guessing he would probably see some pretty significant minutes next year as, as that, uh, someone to space the floor with, with CJ Frederick. But, uh, yeah, you're right. There is concern, you know, and you've got Connor, Joe T, you know, none of those guys are what you'd call, uh, you know, consistent outside shooters. They all are capable, but, but certainly not somebody you're going to game plan to, to, to you know, stop them from shooting three-pointers. So that's uh, a look towards the future, and you mentioned Sanford coming in. Also, with Nunji, now we got the news since the last time that we spoke that Though it is an injury, it was not an ACL, a re-tear of the ACL, meniscus injury, not as long of a timetable for him to come back. Still, it does feel like they got to tap into that grad transfer, immediately eligible market, though, and, and find at the very least another big man. Or did you see enough last night in the big dunk from Josh Angadale that, oh, they're good, they're, they're fine inside, they don't need another backup center? Well, I think what we've seen throughout the year is that they – <laughs> they they don't the, the coaching staff doesn't see him as a, as a capable player right yeah. now that's for sure because you know he is way way at the bottom of the bench he doesn't come in until after until you know basically after Austin Ash is in so that, that's never a good sign for what they view for him being a long term so yeah I, you know, I, he's he's got some skill but you know it's clearly raw and I, I don't. I don't see it developing quickly enough for him to be a, a regular contributor next year. All right. So with that, uh, we we look to the future. Let's look to the future 
and that NCAA tournament. You know, Biz, the the part that I've enjoyed this season a lot, like you said, you know, you were just going to sit back, be positive, and enjoy it all. And during the four out of five uh, streak that they had of losses, we started to go back negative, and it felt like here we go again. But they pulled themselves out of that. They're not going to finish 17-10 and 10 or 18-9 and nine like I predicted before the season. It's going to be at least a little bit closer to what you, you had. Play the, is this where you play the clip again, and I think I said we'd lose six or seven games? Yeah. I was right, Trent. You were right. It you didn't did look like it, but in the, in the end, I knew what I was talking about. Ultimately. Or, or, just, got, or just got lucky. Well, let, let's hope it doesn't end here with a, a loss, and then it's going back to my side of things. Regardless, though, it's been a fun year. This team is playing the best basketball in the country over the last month. This is not hyperbolic. This is stat-based since the game against Indiana, including the game against Indiana. That is now a month ago. Iowa is the best team in the country by analytics. Better than Gonzaga, better than Baylor, better than Michigan, a team that they lost to. The Iowa Hawkeyes, the best team in the country over the month of February into March. What a world to live in. Well, Trent, let's, I'll, just, I'll just ask the question then, Trent. Uh, yes or no, can, can this team win it all? Can. the First, the misnomer. Can. Yes, they can. This team can win six consecutive games. And this is something I never thought. And that's why I went, I guess, more down the negative path. Because I never believed, with as bad as this team was defensively, that they could string together six straight performances to win a national championship. It's still going to be tough. It's tough for anybody, obviously, to do that. And ultimately, only one wins the six straight games to win a national championship. Can? Yes, they can. Do they need some help? Yeah. Do they maybe need a bracket to open up a little bit for them? Sure. Those things have to happen. Look back at, though, when Michigan made a run a few years back and got all the way to the championship game. That was not a great Michigan team but they had a bracket open up in front of them. And until the championship game, I don't think they played any anybody better than like a six seed uh, all the way through the final four where they played. You need a little bit of luck, but can they? Absolutely. And if they get a second crack against Gonzaga in a championship game, I'll take their chances. I would play terribly in that game and yet still got it within seven in the second half. Baylor, they struggled against Iowa State. On and on and on. Can they? Yes. Will they? That's the other question. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And the awesome thing about it, Trent, is, is it's literally the first time in our in our adult life that we can have that conversation in, in any Iowa sport where you can yeah. you can seriously say this team can win it all and not uh, and not be joking. I mean, the only other time I can even consider it would have been probably that 2002. Iowa, the football, you know, the football team by the end mm-hmm. of the year. I think we could make a legitimate argument that hey, if they'd have gone up against Ohio State, uh, you know, they, they had a chance. And um, but I mean, this is clearly on the basketball side. It's definitely the only time in our uh, adult life where, you know, realistically, we're even talking about a legit Final Four opportunity. Right. So, so I agree with everything you said. Can they win it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, on top of the things you said, the other thing that has to happen is. Luca Garza has to stay out of foul trouble. I mean, it, without Jack Nungy, either one of two things has to happen. Either he has to stay out of foul trouble or Fran has to throw his two-foul rule out the window. And I think we both know Fran's not going to do that. So, I mean, a lot of things have to break our way. There's got to be good luck in a lot of different ways. But, you know, a simple thing of just keeping, keeping Luca on the court 
is probably the most important thing. Yeah, and keeping them out there, giving them that team a chance. And this isn't to say that both of us anticipate or predict that I was going to make a Final Four. It's matchup dependent. There are still teams that are bad matchups. And as easily as this team could make a run and win four in a row to get to a Final Four, there are still opponents out there that they can even lose to in the first round. That is the nature of the NCAA tournament. But they are in a part in a spot where they can absolutely go out there and do those kind of things. It's a fun place to be. It's the defensive end, though. And this team defensively, Biz, you watch a lot of basketball. I watch a lot of basketball. I don't remember a team making this kind of transformation without a lineup change, without anything changing, going from a terrible defensive team and now what this team is right now, which is, yes, they're good defensively. Well, we talked about it I think last time we were together. You know, it was I think it was the Ohio State game. Late in that game, we had to sub in five entirely new players to play defense. You know, we were, mm-hmm. and give Fran credit. Since that moment, I think they've kind of realized, hey, that's not sustainable. You can't do that. And the guys that are on the court have to commit to being better defensively, and we need to commit to to one style of defense and do it as well as we can. And they've done that. I mean, they play. Mostly man-to-man, they'll throw in a little bit of zone, which I wish they wouldn't. But, uh, you know, they've, they've committed to the man-to-man. And to their credit, across the board, everybody is committed to, you know, making it a priority. And are they going to be a great defensive team? No, but they don't have to be great. They just have to be, you know, good enough that, you know, they're not just giving up uncontested shots. You know, they can't just uh, sit there and hold. The, the strategy of uh, give up open shots and just hope they don't go in, you know, doesn't work as we saw last night for Nebraska. All right, Biz. Uh, well, we always do before we leave Biz's beat. But before that, do you have anything else that you want to hit on? No. What's your prediction for for Sunday? I mean, I, I you know, it's such an important game. It, it's you know, the opportunity to to get in that final four or the the, the get 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 all the way to Friday. I saw somewhere. If we win, we won't play until Friday at 8 o'clock at night. If we lose, it's likely that we'll probably play Thursday at 11 a.m. in the morning. Wow. And, you know, then you're, you're, you're uphill battle and you're on the wrong side of the bracket because you're on Michigan's side of the bracket. And, and you know, Getting that three seed would be huge for this team. And, and I would assume and hope that they will come out Sunday with the same intensity and focus that they've had the last three or four games. You know, the – the weird thing is this Wisconsin team, and I know I have a lot of scar tissue with Wisconsin, and because of that, it's hard even this year in football where they came in looking terrible. Ah, well, it's still Wisconsin. Same thing with basketball this year. Well, it's still Wisconsin. That sticks with me. I've been waiting for this Wisconsin team, though, to kind of wake up. So much returning talent, and I think more than anything, maybe we were we were duped a little bit with that hot run they had at the end of the regular season. I think they got a share of the regular season crown. I think more than anything, they're just not that good. They're not that good. That's, again, not to say they can't beat Iowa, but I've been waiting and waiting and waiting all along for Wisconsin to show up. The combination of Potter and Reavers has not worked out well. Davidson has his own limitations, and even when Trice is hot, doesn't mean they're automatically going to win. I don't know. I, I think I've overrated Wisconsin more than anything this year. Yeah, the games I've watched, they're, they're very average, and, you know, the only way I see them come out beating us is if they just, you know, we don't guard well in the three-point line and they come out and catch fire, which, you know, could certainly happen. Yeah. We're due for a, a, 
we're due for a dud on the defensive end. And but just watching them, they they don't seem. There's a couple guys in their team, you know, Davison and and Reavers. Just their confidence level just looks shot. I saw her heard an amazing stat on Tuesday's game. At one point in the year, and maybe even still now, Brad Davidson has the worst two-point percentage of any player in Division I basketball. He's shooting like 19% from, from, for two-pointers. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. 22.2% uh, now is the number. Yeah, he was at 19. I think <laughs> they, they said he'd come up to 22, I think is what it was. So he's probably going to go out there and hit six two-pointers and, and score 15 points in the game. And uh, that scar tissue, it's 8 of 81. Uh, from two-point range this year for Davidson, he is 49 of 132. That is 37% from three. 18 of 81. That's crazy. <laughs> That's bad stuff. That is bad stuff. All right, Biz, let's get out of here with Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. <laughs> Trent, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the, uh, the Les Miles saga at LSU, but, uh, man, it is truly amazing what college universities will do to, to, to A, keep their coaches around, and, B, avoid having to uh, have a scandal with their coaches. Because I don't know if you saw it today, but this morning there's a whole bunch of new information out that uh, it was recommended multiple times by their AD that, that Miles be fired. And not only did they not fire him, but they went out of their way to uh, to hide all of his transgressions. And uh, I, honestly, this this story is just the tip of the iceberg. This is going to be brutal for LSU, and, and I think it's going to be get messier before before we get there. And so, you know, I'm sure it happens all over the place, but it just never ceases to amaze me just how uh, you know tone deaf some of these universities can be in these situations. And you know. Believe me, Iowa had a rough year when it came to mm-hmm. some of the things that happened with the Iowa football program. But you know, I'm, give Iowa credit that they, you know, they stepped up and, and tried to do the right things and, and learned from it. And certainly LSU did not do that, and, and they're gonna they're gonna pay the price now. That they are. Yeah, I haven't been following it very closely. I just saw a couple of ancillary things and some of the verbiage in there, things that were said inside the athletic department and told to Les Miles and not happening there. Well, one thing I do know, lawyers will be involved ultimately, right? And uh, you guys solve everything in the world. Yeah, exactly. So, but, oh, I mean, it's the stuff that came out today is incredible. There are emails from the AD to, I think, the president or somebody at the university basically saying, uh, we'd, we'd warned him about this in the past. We told him not to do it, and he ignored us. We definitely have grounds to fire him with cause. And then it looks like they looked into it and, and weren't sure they could fire him with cause. So, Rather than pay a buyout, they decided to just sh- shove it under the rug. And now it's uh, eight years later, uh, it's coming out from under the rug, I guess. Wild, wild stuff. Well, it's Iowa-Wisconsin coming up on Sunday, Big Ten Tournament. Then after that next week, we got Iowa wrestling in the Big Ten Tournament this weekend. The women's team getting ready to make their way to Indianapolis. It's a fun time. And then baseball right around the corner along with spring football. It, it seemingly never ends. Well, and the Iowa track program uh, oh, yeah. won a Big Ten won a Big Ten title. I think the gymnastics team is like either either one or is in, on the verge of winning a title. Uh, across the board, it's great, it's great to be a Hawkeye right now, Trent. That it is, Biz. Well, we will try to sneak in. Certainly, we will do 
another podcast before the NCAA tournament. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, let's wait and let's wait and see how they do in the Big Ten tournament, and uh, we can we can reassess and we can get back together and, and probably take back our claims that this team can win it all. <laughs> probably, that's where we'll be. Until that time, Biz, we will talk to you then. Have a good one. All right, go Hawks.